When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. The hot stove is burning up, but a big bucket of cold water set to be dumped on it in just a few days. I'm Tim McMaster along with Ken Rosenthal here with the mailbag episode. Ken, only a few days until baseball likely enters a lockout. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Tim, and I know a lot of fans are thinking, well, why are we in this position with all this money being spent and seemingly everybody happy, but we can get into that another time. We've got Evan Drellick's labor podcast coming up this week as well. That will explain it further. It's almost as if one thing has nothing to do with the other. This frenzy versus the labor situation, as odd as that sounds, there are labor questions that have nothing to do with the money being spent now. It's a whole different set of circumstances. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, the last few episodes, it's been very clear to me trying to plan this podcast that your off season is way busier than your in season in a lot of ways. But I think we found maybe 30 uninterrupted minutes here. We're going to try to knock out this podcast. Uh, you mentioned the frenzy um, as we record this. In the last basically 24 hours or so, we've seen all sorts of money being spent, right? Seven years, $100 million for Byron Buxton to stay in Minnesota. Kevin Gossman headed to Toronto, five years, 110. Marcus Simeon, the first domino to fall as far as the shortstop market goes. He gets 175. He's headed to Texas. Uh, And then Max Scherzer, by the time you hear this, may have found a home uh, because that is ramping up as well. So the question is, I thought it would be quiet. Ken, before the lockout, because there's so many unknowns. So why the frenzy? Tim, it's really a good question. And there are a couple of things in play here. One, players, a lot of players don't like uncertainty. They want to know where they're going to be before this starts, because they know it could drag into February. And that would be for free agents, two more months of not knowing what you're doing next year. Teams, to a certain extent, don't like the uncertainty either. Because once the lockout ends, and assuming it's late January, early February, and that's the best guess, because that's when the actual deadline is for spring training, getting ready in time, well, there could be a frenzy. And who knows what might happen with teams during that time. If it's a two-week signing period, we've seen how crazy this can get in a matter of days. And teams want some answers too. So that is driving it, even with the lack of knowledge about what the luxury tax threshold is going to look like. For certain teams, that's not very relevant. In fact, for all but a handful of teams, it's not all that relevant. But even without knowing the rules of engagement, the economic structure in the new CBA, teams just feel they want to get certain players done now, want to avoid being caught up in this hurricane of signings later. And again, we'll see how it all shakes out. But What's so curious about this is 
that I know fans are looking at this, as I mentioned earlier, as, well, wait a second, we've got a spending spree, we've got a sport seemingly healthy, and yet we've got a labor dispute coming, and yeah, that's the case, and the reason it's the case is because, as I said earlier again, the issues are unrelated in many ways. What the union is worried about is competitive integrity, and actually MLB is worried about that too. The union wants players getting paid earlier, and that's not really something that concerns this current group. We're talking free agents right now. And the union wants some other things done to the draft order, perhaps, something baseball has entertained as well, and just a number of measures that will enhance competitive integrity. They've got to figure out whether they want an expanded postseason. The two sides, can they figure that out, get that settled? Universal DH. There are all these different issues that are sort of unrelated to what's going on now, and Again, we'll see what happens. I'm still fully expecting a lockout, but for a fan to sit there watching all this activity and say, whoa, 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 this sport seems kind of healthy. Well, it is kind of healthy. There just happens (laughs) to be a labor dispute coming. Yeah, let's keep it healthy. I think that's what we all want through through this thing. You said a hurricane maybe after the lockout as far as signings, after this little mini storm here before it. It will make for some exciting times as far as signings and all of that. All right, let's get into the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved next week, you can call us, 646-543-7072, actually in two weeks, not next week, or email tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Those are the easy ways to get your questions into Ken. Ken, we're going to start with the emails. This one from David Koch. He says, do you think with the Cardinals signing of Stephen Matz, could they still make a play for another big pitcher or one of the shortstops? A lot of Cardinals fans are wondering this, and my guess is that they'll stick with pitching, that they're going to try to build around pitching. They've got this great defense, right? Even with the struggling offensive players up the middle, DeYoung, Sosa, Edmund. They're good defenders, not really great hitters, obviously, none of them. They could play on a shortstop, particularly if one of the shortstop's values drops, which I don't anticipate. So we've seen them commit to Matt's. The people I've talked to around that team think they're going to stay committed to the pitching end of it, and I can see that. Look at their rotation. It's not all that certain even with Matt's. Wainwright is an older guy. He's brilliant, no doubt about it, but he's older. Flaherty coming off the injuries. A number of different kinds of questions. Michaelis was hurt a lot last year. So if I were them, I would stick with that. I'd love to see them get one more bat. They probably should get one more bat. In that infield, even if it is not a top guy, someone who can maybe enter the mix and give them more offense. But remember, they're a defense-first team. That's one of the reasons they were able to prevail and make the postseason last year and have that great 17-game winning streak, the fundamental style of play. You may ask, why did they fire the manager? That's a different story. But (laughs) at the same time, It would not be surprising to see the Cardinals address both areas, but I do expect their emphasis to remain pitching. 
All right. Speaking of pitching, the next question from Dan Zerby. He's a regular here on the podcast. He says, hey, Ken, this question may be too far of left field for you to have an answer for. Now, no doubts, Dan. Don't don't doubt Ken here, but I'm going to ask it anyway. He says, former Cleveland pitcher Danny Salazar has seemed to be dropping hints on Instagram at a comeback attempt for several months. He capped off by a workout post the other day, captioned, The Return. Is there any rumblings within the baseball world of him making an attempt? Is he on club's radar? He is making an attempt at a comeback, and he is seemingly intent on doing that. The question is health with Danny, always. And remember, he has not pitched since July 2019. He made one appearance coming off shoulder surgery and then had a groin injury without the rest of the year. So he really hasn't pitched regularly since early 18. But Danny Salazar, when right, as we know from his earlier days, can be a very effective pitcher. So I expect we will hear in the days ahead about him having a showcase. I expect that he will sign with some team, probably a minor league deal, and he will continue on the comeback trail. I always root for players like Salazar who are trying to just get back and finish their careers off on their terms and not go out with injuries. It's not always possible. Sometimes the body just doesn't respond the way you want it to, and maybe that ultimately will be the case with Salazar. But yes, he is trying. Good news for fans of Danny Salazar. All right, this one from Taylor Cruz. This is a fun question. Which franchise cornerstone is more likely to leave and why, Freddie Freeman or Clayton Kershaw? This is a tough one. I don't really expect either to leave, but they're entirely different circumstances. Now, Freddie Freeman is a free agent at the top of his game, though a little bit older, turning 32. Everyone, including myself, expects the Braves to re-sign him. I do not know why it has taken this long. Clearly, the longer it lingers and the fact that he is a free agent available to all teams raises the possibility, as I wrote recently, that he could go to one of the big market teams, perhaps. At the same time, the Braves have every reason to sign him. They are built to win now. They are making all kinds of money coming off a World Series appearance. We know that from the Liberty Media Financials. They're publicly available. And... Freddie Freeman is the heart and soul of that team. Now, Kershaw is an entirely different scenario. He is dealing with the elbow issue that he had at the end of last season. The Dodgers did not make him a qualifying offer because they did not want to corner him into a decision. Remember, he would have had five days to make that decision. And Kershaw, because of the uncertainty with his health, isn't prepared to do that. And also because of the uncertainty of his health, isn't prepared to go forward with anyone right now. He is waiting to see how his arm responds. Once he does that, and once he determines, okay, I'm healthy, at that point, that is when I expect him to open the bidding process. It's kind of an honorable approach if you think about it, because he doesn't want to take any team's money until he knows that he is able to pitch. And at the same time, he understands that probably no team would be willing to give him the contract he might want without that certainty either, or not certainty, but confidence that he would be able to at least get on the mound and pitch somewhat of a normal season. It is interesting that one of the teams that's has started to and is expected to continue to spend is the Rangers, and that's exact. That's where Clayton Kershaw originally is from, is the Dallas area. But yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. All right, let's go to our first voicemail of the day. This is Julian Gilardi. My question involves the Yankees. Do you think they make a move before the lockout? And how aggressive do they go be in the pitching market? 
Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself with regards to what they might do before the lockout because we're taping this on Monday morning, and for all I know, they could sign someone, maybe multiple someones, in the next 48 hours. I do expect that at some point they're going to address their pitching. They have to. They have no choice. Their rotation is one that has some questions in it, and that is the area that they most want to shore up. They also have other things that they can do. We've all talked about shortstop and whether they'll get ultimately involved in that market. Joel Sherman of the New York Post has reported, and I understand the same to be true, that they don't want to play at the top of the market. At least that has not been the appearance they've given. They're going to do some things. Whether they do enough remains to be seen. And again, there's an ongoing issue with the Yankees and their fan base. And their fan base feels that this team does not spend enough to get over the hump, so to speak. They've been close. They've been a good team for many years now, but they haven't won a World Series since 2009. It's the whole question fans raise about Hal Steinbrenner, how committed he is to winning. I believe he's committed to winning, but he's not committed in the same frenzied respect that his father was. And it's no question about that. It's not a knock on him necessarily. It happens to be what appears to be the reality. So we will see what they do. But I will say this. Patience among their fan base is as thin as I can remember, and it's understandable because at times the Yankees have spent big. Garrett Cole, obviously a big example. Giancarlo Stanton, another one. And yet at times they have not appeared to go as far as perhaps they could go. If you want to hear more about the Yankees, too, last Wednesday's The Athletic Baseball Show, Evan was joined by Lindsey Adler and Annie McCullough and Tim Britton talking all about the big market teams and spending. So definitely check that one out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Speaking of big market teams that should be spending at some point, A.M. Snyder says, when are Jed and Carter going to make big hires for the Cubs and which positions will they be targeting? Or is this a year to tank? They're not tanking. That's pretty clear, and their waiver claim of Wade Miley sort of indicated that. A tanking team wouldn't take a guy like that for one year and $8 million or whatever the number is. So that's not their plan. They are going to be opportunistic in the market at a number of areas, in a number of areas. Second base will be one, I would expect. They've got other things that they can do, really all over the diamond and with the pitching staff. So... I don't expect them to be a big spending team. We've already seen that they're not going to be. But I do expect them to play on one-year deals, two-year deals perhaps. Maybe they take on a big contract to get prospects. There are a number of ways they can go about it. But no, I would not expect them to be a team that we describe as tanking with the way they're approaching this offseason. 
All right, we do have some questions regarding the CBA and the negotiations and all of that, Ken. These are longer ones, so I'll get right into them here. Uh, The first one's from Brian Griffith. He says, why do national media folks often take it as written that baseball is better when big clubs are spending big money? I'm a fan of a lot of sports and find that sports with a high floor and low ceiling, like the NFL, are more interesting from a roster perspective. No one feels like their team can't afford their stars. We don't see L.A. spending five times as much as Cleveland, last year average payroll was $128 million. Would you support phasing in a system that required teams to spend between, say, $125 and $150 million, increasing by 5% a year? Players get the same amount, but it is a lot more fair and interesting. I would not support that kind of system. And let me try to give as broad an overview as I can. Baseball is not a salary cap sport. I know everyone listening out there understands that and knows it, and the union in baseball has long fought any even suggestion of a salary cap, and the owners in this round of negotiation have not suggested a salary cap. Now, people say, well, the salary cap sports are better, it's more even. We've seen a lot of different World Series champions in this sport in recent years, and I know that's not necessarily a total reflection of what's going on. Teams like Tampa Bay have to churn their rosters constantly. Cleveland struggles to keep up. Oakland has to recycle. All these things that go on, yes, should be improved. There are in other sports disparities in payrolls. I looked this up last night. In the NBA, you've got Golden State at $179 million and Oklahoma City at $79 million. In the NFL, you've got Indianapolis at $169 million, Detroit at $103 million. So it's not as if everybody's spending the same even under a salary cap system. If you... Put in a system, as you suggest, with a higher floor and a lower ceiling and kind of put all the teams in the same spot. What you're doing is depriving the players of money, okay? Unless you make that payroll grouping a reflection of the game's revenues, then it's not a fair system for the players, and they would oppose it. And I understand why they would oppose it. If you're a player, you've got a short career, you want to make the most you can. And yes, the big market teams often are the ones that drive that. So... The real question here is how do we fix the disparity that we see in our sport? How do we make it more balanced competitively? And this is one of the key components of the labor negotiations. The owners want to do some things along these lines. That's why they've suggested something along the lines of what you're talking about. Lower luxury tax thresholds, which the players are never going for, and a minimum type payroll with similar kinds of mechanisms to penalize teams if they fall under it again i don't expect that to happen there are other ways though you can get the small market teams in better position one is by adjusting the draft order and giving small market teams an advantage in the draft two is by perhaps tweaking the revenue sharing formula and making it so we know that the teams like the pirates for example are spending the money they are getting that's a flaw in the current system It's never going to be perfect. The sport is a different sport economically than the NFL, certainly. The NFL is built on its central revenue, right? The national television contracts where baseball, the majority of the revenue is still local. So, again, I understand fan frustration with this, and it's entirely valid. And, yes, I would like to see teams like Cleveland and Oakland and Tampa Bay and Miami have more of a chance to keep their players. At the same time, I don't think that necessarily has to be part and parcel with restricting guys or teams at the top. 
All right. This one kind of flows right in from that one, Ken. It's from James Allen. Regarding compensation pre-free agency, if I understand it correctly, the issues are paying players more, but also allowing smaller market teams to compete by not having huge salaries. If so, why don't they set a rule that rather than the team paying the full arbitration salary, the league pays, say, anything over $5 million of arbitration salary or up to $5 million, et cetera? That would pay the pre-free agency players more, yet not burden small market teams with big salaries. Interesting thought, but again, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the system is not set up this way. The system is set up for small market teams to use their revenue sharing money to spend on players. Now, arbitration is not the biggest problem here. The biggest problem for small market teams, lower revenue teams, is keeping those players once they hit free agency. Generally speaking, small market teams can afford their players through arbitration. Not always the case, but that's generally the case. So when you already have the subsidies through revenue sharing, that's how and where the money should be spent. And I don't ever see the league getting involved to the extent where they're actually subsidizing directly these teams. There's a system in place, a mechanism in place for these teams to spend on those kinds of players. Now, free agency and whether it's, say, a Tampa Bay could keep any of their guys long-term, which they just did with Wander Franco but haven't done often in the past, again, a different story and a bigger problem for those clubs. All right, and one last question. This one from Keith. Listening to the Athletic Baseball Show on tanking, some of the discussion brought up the idea of why would it make sense for a bad team to spend money when it won't make them all that competitive in the short term and could have an impact on their long-term plans? The losers in all of this are the fans who have to pay the same ticket prices. What would your thoughts be on the reverse luxury tax threshold, a miser's penalty? If a team spends X percent below the floor, they do not have to pay a penalty with a check, but have to lower current ticket prices by that same X percentage the following year. If a team is cheap one year and then has a great season, the next ownership won't be able to reap the full benefits of increased attendance to get the full benefit of winning in the future. There has to be an investment in the present. First off, I want to praise all the callers and the listeners that are giving us these questions. These are really creative thoughts, and I'm loving them. Now, they're not always practical, but I will try to explain without, again, trying to be some kind of mean podcast host saying, this is dumb, that is dumb. No, I'm not seeing it that way, but let me just try to give you, the again, the broader perspective. With ticket prices, they are purely a function of supply and demand. And I know fans don't always see it that way. They say, oh, man, my team's increasing payroll. Here come the increased ticket prices. Well, teams won't charge increased ticket prices if they think fans won't buy the tickets at those prices. That's the way our economic system works, not just in baseball, but in the country. It's supply, it's demand, and that's how it works. Now, as for penalizing teams that tank, so to speak, that is the idea of a minimum payroll with, again, not a hard floor, but the same kind of mechanism that you see at the top, where if you exceed a certain amount at the top, you get penalized. Well, if you would fall below a certain amount at the bottom, you get penalized in the same way. The union doesn't want hard cap or a hard floor because that is something that they believe restricts the free market. So I can see that kind of thing coming into play eventually. I don't know if it's going to be in this CBA. I get the sense that it's not. But 
that would solve some of this. It would force teams to spend. Now, that would create other problems, other unintended consequences, and I get it. But at the same time, that's the way to do it, not by <laughs> forcing them to lower the ticket prices, which is a fascinating idea. And yes, it would be punishment. I just don't see it ending up that way. I want to make one more point on this, and this is something I've seen in response to some of the articles that we've written about labor in recent weeks, and I hear you on this, folks. Fans say all the time, hey, man, no one's thinking of us here. The players are thinking of their economic situation, the owners are thinking of their economic situations, and we're getting essentially left behind. That is true, and I don't see any obvious answer to that unless if you're really frustrated, you stay away. And none of us want to stay away because we all love the game so much. So as we enter this lockout phase, let's hope it doesn't jeopardize any part of the season. And I don't expect it will. There's too much money flowing into the game to owners and to players. And let's hope that we get to a better place as a sport with what the agreement might hold. And even with rules changes that might come, if not as part of this agreement, then a separate one that the two sides would make. That is my hope here. That is my optimistic vision for what is going to happen. No one likes a work stoppage. They're annoying. It's hard to understand from the outside, from the average person's perspective. But my hope is that we get to a better place. It is an opportunity to make the game better. Well, hopefully they, they go that way. Well, keep it locked here to the Athletic Baseball Show too. Lockout or not, we're going to keep bringing you content, including we've talked about it, Evan Jellick's show, which is basically focused on the latest news in this. He's going to talk to people from each side. Ken's been on there once. I'm sure he's going to pull you back in again at some point, Ken. Um, so definitely tune into that show as well. If you want to get involved in the Mailbag Show when we come back in a couple of weeks, you can call us 646-543-7072 or or email tabaseballshow at gmail.com. I mentioned Evan's show. That is kind of a moving target this week. It's either going to be Wednesday or Thursday, depending on the news. And then one more show this week on the feed will be Friday, Derek Van Riper and Keith Law with their great work. You have a few more hours, depending on when you're listening to this, to cash in on the best deal of the year to join The Athletic. You can do it for just $1 a month, but the deal runs out on Monday, on Cyber Monday. So get there quick, theathletic.com slash baseball show for just $1 a month to subscribe to The Athletic. For Ken Rosenthal, I'm Tim McMaster. Have a great week, everyone.